And now, two pigeons bemoaning the fact you can stream DirecTV satellite-free. You see this? A family watching baseball on DirecTV with no satellite dish in sight. Let's heckle them. You call that changing the channel? Choke up on the remote, buddy. I hope getting all these games on DirecTV makes up for your mother not pre-chewing your sunflower seeds. DirecTV has the most MLB games. Visit DirecTV.com. Claim based on total games offered on national and regional sports networks with choice package or higher. Availability of RSNs varies by zip code and package. High-speed internet service required. Terms and restrictions apply. Looking for the best place to buy tickets for any of your favorite teams or sporting events? We've got the spot. Our partner, StubHub, has been the leading ticket marketplace in the world for over 20 years, providing a 100% guarantee with every order. From a worldwide selection of live events, the widest choice of tickets and industry-leading partnerships, StubHub has what you need to purchase with confidence. StubHub, an official partner of The Athletic. There's one thing we know for sure right now, that even in a world of uncertainty, cancer doesn't stop, even in the midst of a global crisis. So on Saturday, June 13th, the Leukemia and Lymphoma Society is hosting a trailblazing event called The Big Virtual Climb, sponsored by AbbVie. The event will raise funds to support their investment in groundbreaking research to advance blood cancer cures and first-in-class patient education and services, including financial support and clinical trial navigation. So join us and step up to take cancer down. You climb 61 floors or 1,760 steps. You can do this anywhere, inside, outside, on stairs, on the road, or on your treadmill. What you'll do is sign up and on June 13th, join in for an opening ceremony and then take on your climb with the Leukemia and Lymphoma Society's heart-pumping playlist to keep you motivated. Join in June 13th from coast to coast as we come together to climb, conquer, cure. You can register for the Big Virtual Climb at lls.org slash bigclimb. That's lls.org slash bigclimb. Hello and welcome to Front and Nationwide. This is the Athletics Dedicated Blue Jackets podcast. It's June 12th already. How did it get to be June 12th? Friday morning, Aaron Portson with you. Allison Lucan is here. Hello. Hello. And Allison, phase three now has a date. Indeed. Indeed it does. have a date. Date phase three tentative, but a date. The NHL announced on Thursday that camps for the 24 teams still alive this year uh, would open on July 10th, provided medical and safety conditions uh, allow and parties have reached an overall agreement on resuming play. July 10. Now, Allison, if we look at that and think, okay, that's a hard date for that july 10 assuming that holds we're looking at the stanley cup being awarded in october it's insane think about this i mean it is so the length of training camp and therefore a hard date for the start of phase four which is the games uh will be determined later but if you look at it this way so july 10 is when camps open if say if that goes two and a half weeks two weeks which seems Reasonable, there's been talk of having exhibition games in there for teams. So you're looking, if it's three weeks, which I think is fair with exhibition games, that's August 1st. 
to start the qualifying round. Yep. Which is going to take 10 to 12 days, most likely. That puts you at August 10 or 11, maybe August 13. And the playoffs, they're all going to be around seven, best of seven. And so that takes 60 days to complete. So you could be looking at October 10th to 14th, depending upon how many games the final takes. Uh, and that, of course, Allison, is right, right when the 2020-21 season would have begun. Uh, right. Your thoughts on this schedule that is now taking shape? I, I, I mean, yes, that's the schedule. And I'm, I'm torn because this kind of impact, we still don't know if they're even going to play. Um, right. This kind, totally. of impact, this kind of impact, it's going to take years to get back to a quote-unquote normal schedule, um, if they do so at all. And yeah. I, at some point, you know, if we consider that, of course, there's the philosophical pursuit of a cup winner this year, but if we consider the financial pursuit, at some point, it's like, why not just stop? and pick up in October and get going. It's, it's the same, it's the same amount of stuff. Uh, if you just do yeah. it that way. Yeah. And I think part of their fear is that it's going to, that the coronavirus is going to get worse again. Mm-hmm. Um, and it, it, let me just not to get on a scientific track here again. It's not, we've been led to believe by some, uh, some people have suggested that the virus is just going to go away and warm temperatures, that the warm temperatures kill the virus. That doesn't appear to be the case with this. But what happens is people are indoors more right. in the fall. Right. And it's more easily spread when you're next to each other and you're indoors. So there's a concern that even if, if it stays relatively under control, although it's popping up in new areas of the country um, now, that there's a concern that in the fall, we're going to have another big outbreak. And so my God. I mean, can you imagine if they finish the season wait until December to start the next one and it's really bad, then again, I don't know what you do. Um, right. Right. Let's deal with the, task at, with the task at hand, the resumption of this season. Um, so this July 10th, this is a big, this is an important date, not that date specifically, but having a date right, for sure. is really important for players because now they can sort of, they can plan their return, some of them from Europe, some from Canada. Um, they, and, and all of that, I should say this too, this phase, phase three, these are all going to be in the NHL team's markets. So it's not going to be 12 teams in one spot. That's phase four. That's the games. Right. But phase three is going to be training camps for teams. So if you think of the Blue Jackets players from overseas and Canada, they'll be returning to Columbus in advance of July 10, but this gives them a target when to get back to Columbus, when to start cranking up the exercise so that you're at peak ready for the start of camp. That's an important date. And you've talked to some guys about this, about having a target date to shoot something on the calendar that they can circle to aim for. Yeah, for sure. And that, you know, I think that, I mean, I remember uh, Zach Wierenski's, sophomore season going into it I remember talking to him over the summer and and he just he just didn't know and he you know the season ended and then he started skating within a month and Nick Felino called him and was like dude what are you doing um, yeah. because there is this there are proper if you will 
timings to get back on the ice, to do certain things to get your body ready. Um, Cam Atkinson talked to us about that on the podcast. And so I think from a mental preparation perspective, from a physical preparation perspective, having that date is everything because now you know when you need to be quote unquote at your peak um, versus just kind of eyeballing it and hoping that you get it right. Yeah. And I think the assumption for a lot of these guys or my assumption for a lot of these guys is that they will do some skating before they get back to camp. Right. In other words, that they don't want that to be the first skating they do. A lot of these guys are skating already, uh, but now they can look at that July 10 and sort of go back. They can work themselves back. I want to have two weeks of skating on my own before camp. Right. Boom, boom, boom. Then I'll start skating on June 24th or whatever it would be. Right. Um, so that's important. There are all sorts of wrinkles to this. So when the, and, and contingencies too, like you, you said, th- this, they may not resume this season. And part of that could be because of the pandemic, if it flares up again. But part of that also could be because the league and the players can't reach final agreement on a lot of stuff that needs to be mapped out. All they've reached agreement on so far is what teams would take place and sort of what the skeleton of the, of the postseason would look like. But it's all the other stuff uh, that, right. they've, that they still have to figure out. What happens to contracts that expire June 30th, the way that they're, they're always written? The, the, the league year starts on July 1st. There have to be addendums to all of those. One other thing that I was looking at this morning is they've got to extend work visas for a lot of these guys. So these guys have work visas that coincide with their contracts and expire with their contracts. In other words, you apply for this work visa and you have to show the government your contract so that they know you have a job and these, this, these are the parameters of that job and that's how they're, they're granted. Right. So a lot of these guys, their visas is the P1A. I looked up a, a story we wrote um, in the fall when Marcus Hanekainen, mm-hmm. uh, international man of intrigue, <laughs> was was kept from coming over, delayed because his his uh, work visa was flagged. Um, they're P1A visas for athletes. Uh, there's a P1B for touring musicians. These are things many of us won't ever need to know about. But you give the tour dates to the government, and that's how they issue the length of your of right. your visa for that. Athletes, it's your contract. So the Blue Jackets have several guys who've gone back home. Um, and it doesn't really matter if they've gone back home or not. It's just if they're eligible to work in the United States after June 30th. So, I mean, Josh Anderson is a Canadian. I don't think he's a dual citizen. Uh, Dubois is, so he's fine. But guys like Gavrikov, Korpisalo, Merzlikens, um, Kivleniex, I'm, I'm spitballing here on some of these because – I'm, I'm pretty sure that we don't have any dual citizens here. We're pretty sure these guys, most of them that I'm mentioning, Kevin Stenland, uh, Gabriel Carlson, Jakob Lilia, they would be brought back as part of the Blue Jackets players uh, for the restart. But those are some of the, uh, this some of the paperwork behind the scenes that has to get done uh, before these guys can a come back but continue to play Allison can you imagine the the machinations that are going on behind the scenes not just at the league level but at the city level and the team level as they try to really upend the world that they're working in and make sure that everything is is copacetic oh for sure I mean and there's there's even I mean other players Wenberg Boone Jenner I mean these are there's a bunch of guys who have gone home and 
would need to be able to get back into the country. And to your point, it's not just the volume of work. It's not just navigating things that aren't precedent, but you're dealing with government agencies and there's, you're one of 31 teams dealing with this. <laughs> it's, right. uh, there are many times I'm glad I'm not a lawyer and this is one of them. <laughs> yeah, right, right. Um, then this is an interesting wrinkle too. There, there's a, an event that I, I haven't, shamefully, I haven't paid much attention to. Uh, it's become a thing. Uh, it's called simply the basketball tournament. Yep. I'm not sure if that's branding genius or branding ineptitude. <laughs> I'm, I mean that honestly. It's so plain that I kind of like it. Yep. But I, I wonder if it reaches people. Anyways, it, it, this is, it's, it's been going on for more than a few years now. Uh, it'll be staged at Nationwide Arena this year, July 4th to 14th. Um, we say that not as, as a promotional item, but to point out that, that this, is, this will not interfere with Phase 3. So there's something like 20 some basketball teams, 24 basketball teams, mm -hmm. and they play uh, former Ohio State players and such. Now they're going to play a, a tournament, 23 games for 24 teams, one team left standing. Uh, no fans in the crowd, in the stands, of course, but they've been cleared by the city to do this. And they're going to do it much the same way that the Blue Jackets are hoping to do the hub cities uh, with the, as a hub city with the, for the NHL. So the players will stay at a downtown hotel. This is the basketball players I'm talking about. They'll stay in a downtown hotel. I'm told that they may change at the convention center. Hmm. So they won't be using any of the dressing rooms. Um, again, this will be during the training camp stage, not the hub stage. So there could be spare dressing rooms that they could use, although there's 24 teams, a lot of guys. Um, and then they'll walk to Nationwide Arena, maybe come in the Zamboni Tunnel, and the games are played on the big ice. Well, the big ice, which will be covered with the basketball court. <laughs> right, right. And it's very limited as to who's in. ESPN is there media-wise because they are broadcasting the tournament. Um, so this is July 4th to, to 14th. And I, I look at it two different ways. First of all, just clarify with the team yesterday that it will not interrupt Blue Jackets training camp at all. The Blue Jackets will be on the practice rink because that's where the ice is right now anyways. <coughs> Excuse me. And the Blue Jackets will be in their dressing room. There will only be, I don't know, 28, 32 Blue Jackets. So th they can fit them in uh, either their dressing room or the dressing room, their visiting dressing room, all the way on the other side of the building. No problem with that. But it's also seen um, from Columbus's standpoint as proof positive that they've had clearance from the government that they could host a hub as a hub city in the NHL. Now, the league's not going to be able to, they're going to announce the hub cities probably within a week to 10 days. So they're not going to be able to watch this tournament and see if it's run well and everything goes well before they make that determination. But the fact that it's been approved and the fact that it's coming here it shows signs of life in Nationwide Arena, and I think the hope, Allison, is that this is going to show the league that they can that they can for sure do something like this because there's not a lot of arenas hosting stuff right now. Yeah, for sure, and I think that uh, even if Columbus isn't a hub city, I mean, this is and this was my comment even when the hub city concept started rolling around for the for the NHL is that it's good for Columbus to get 
even a little bit of income, a little bit of, of support um, for the local economy, even if it's not right. a, a packed arena, it's, it's still an influx. Um, and again, I like that it shows what you said, which is that Columbus is saying, we can do this, we can do this, we believe safe, safely <clears throat> and put on a productive event, even in these very strange times. Yeah. And Mirfield's going to host fans as well. I think one quarter of the typical right. collection of fans, I think that it's capped at 8,000. I think 10. Um, I it, ten yeah. Is it 10,000? I think it's 10. I could be wrong. Um, and now that's, we're talking lots of acreage and outdoors. So that's kind of a different animal, but we're starting to see in Columbus, Ohio, that the, the, the powers that be, of course, teams want this to be back in normal. The powers that be are approving, um, you know, that, that they move forward in, in some shape or form. So maybe the lights are starting to flicker on here. Um, about the hub cities, TSN's Ryan Rashog has been all over this. Um, the, in terms of Canada and its 14-day quarantine, that would severely impact Canada's ability to host uh, as a hub city. And so um, that's been the concern. Like you could, you could take Vancouver, Edmonton, Toronto off the list of 10 teams um, that hope to be hub cities if they couldn't get the ban lifted. And Ryan Rishog of TSN reporting that in the coming days um, that – quarantine requirement will be lifted. Now, I don't know if that's for everyone in Canada or if that is just exemption being issued to the NHL because you do know they love their hockey up there in Canada. But that if uh, there have been reports that Toronto is the choice of the league if they can do it there. So that 14-day quarantine lift could be um, a big deal in, in terms of Columbus getting it or not. Maybe if, if Toronto can get it, Columbus doesn't, but for now, Columbus still in the hunt. And one thing we've heard, um, and Allison, picture this if you could. You remember the All-Star game and what the Arena District looked like. I'll never forget the sled running right yeah. down yeah. Nationwide Avenue. Um, just the very village, it took on the feel of a village, an Olympic village. It almost had like a Lillehammer Norway feel to it. Um, apparently, part of the plan, part of the pitch is to turn the arena district into a sort of Olympic village for the players. Um, they'll, the traveling parties they do the math 50 times 12. I come up with 600 people that the arena district would basically be their playground. I don't know if that means privately sealing off uh, multiple restaurants for right. only those players to use, closing them to the public you know, your mind can, can wander here. There are people who live in the arena district, of course. I don't know if they'd have to seal off that bridge that runs from the old Gordon Beers across to the Arbar and such, because their residence is right there. Um, but the idea of turning that area into an Olympic village for the players, that's intriguing, is it not? It is. And I think that, um, you know, and to go back to, it, it will be, a, it will be a shame if Columbus doesn't become a hub city, just because I do think it's one of the most uniquely qualified to do so. Um, but, uh, you know, Toronto's not only a home of hockey, it's also a cheaper dollar rate exchange. So um, it helps that way. But yeah, we, we've seen some of this in the NBA talks as well, where players were discussing um, the ability to basically rent out a couple restaurants 
and mm -hmm. say, these are our restaurants while we're here. Um, so I do think, and again, we talked about this before, if you're a hockey player and you're going to be quarantined for weeks and weeks and weeks, to only be able to go to your hotel room in the rink is just stifling. Oh, and uh, to be able to say, no, you can also go to these two restaurants or I don't know, this store or whatever it is. Um, I think that could be very appealing to the players and the people who are part of, of, of the little traveling circus, if you will. And it would, again, I think it'd be interesting to watch because I'm sure that the businesses would welcome that um, from an mm -hmm. economic perspective, but they're going to want some guarantees too, right? If they lock off, they're going to want to make sure people are in fact mm -hmm. coming, <laughs> not just right. shut down to any business that they might get. Right. And I don't pretend to know the business, but I'm thinking, I'm, I'm guessing that what the business is looking like right now in terms of people who feel comfortable coming out to eat in a restaurant, they may be willing to trade that for the guarantee of 300 100%. people a night. hundred percent. Right? Absolutely. Or, yeah. Or more. Um, and I wonder too, and this would be a good question for the governor. Um, if, if these are quarantined players and people, would the restaurant still be required to handle itself, in other words, spacing of tables um, and, and the like, as they are with the general public right now, where, where you're behaving in a way where you don't know who's coming in to the restaurant. You don't know if they have a fever, if they've been sick. These are players that have, have been marked clean and, and tested daily. Would that open up the restaurant to do business as usual with only this group of people, the 600 people that are in the traveling party. I think that's an interesting question. For sure. But it's, uh, you know, this is when we start to get into that idea of, of spread in terms of a logistical sense, because now are we saying that if you work at these restaurants that you too must quarantine, right? Yeah, so, right. Um, yeah. And, you know, when we had the good doctor on our podcast, you know, he shared too that it's, it's very likely that the virus still gets into this bubble some way or yeah. some form. So even if players are testing, if, if those restaurant employees are not quarantining, or if we presume that there's still a chance that the virus gets in, it, it seems like those requirements have to stay in place. Uh, and I'm no yeah. scientist, but that, you know, it, it, it you can't, I don't feel like we can say definitively just because they're in this bubble, that means everything in the bubble is fine. Right. Yeah. I just wonder if the risk would be mitigated to such a low level that they would say, okay, waiters, sure. waiters still have to wear a mask, but we can fill the, we can fill the dining room area for sure. As you did before, not for with. Sure. Yeah. Yeah. It was interesting. And we should pause too, um, to sort of give thanks. I think, you know, there are detractors, of course, this is the political world we live in. But at last check, Mike DeWine had an approval rating in the 80s. Yeah. I don't know if you've seen that, Allison. Yeah, top two in the um, country, I think. That's, I mean, 80, 80 in good times is crazy, um, especially in today's landscape. 80s in the time of a pandemic is off the charts. Um, but, and and his, his director of health, Amy Acton, so I should tell you, so I went to the governor's press conference yesterday. Um, I sort of drifted from the sports world into the world of politics because I had questions about the sports world. 
mm-hmm. um, that I wanted to ask. And so people don't know how this works. I, I'm guessing I didn't until yesterday. You put your name in the hopper and say, I would like to ask a question. So la- la- yesterday, 14 people requested to ask questions. The lottery was held. Allison, where do you think yours truly, how do you think I fared in the lottery? <laughs> Out of 14. I, you know, I, 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 you're probably in the bottom half. I was 14. Of course. Of course. Yeah. Blue Jackets. They knew it was the Blue Jackets. <laughs> it's lottery luck. No matter what, no matter what it is with the Blue Jackets, it's lottery luck. Um, anyways, I moved up to 11 in the pecking order because three other people had, had stuff come up and no longer had questions, whatever. Didn't get to ask the questions, but I'm there. On, on, I walk in and, and I, know, I know people there just from working in the business forever. And they're like, what the hell are you doing here? And I said, oh, I'm here for the big news. Like, what are you talking about the big news? Well, I'm totally joking with them. I have no idea what's about to happen. And about 20 minutes later, Dr. Amy Acton announces that she's stepping down. And they're like, what the, how? how?" And I'm like, I had no idea. (laughs) I was totally guessing. I had no idea that was going to happen. Um, I didn't ask my question. I wouldn't have asked my question anyways, because that's the big news of the day. I'm not thrown in. I'll go back later for for follow-ups, whatever. But I think, look, Columbus isn't even considered uh, as a possibility for a hub city. Columbus isn't doing as well. Ohio's not doing as well as it would be without the reads that Dr. Amy Acton made very early in this process, without the way Governor Mike DeWine listened to her and and her staff in this process. I I, I hope that we don't get so far beyond this that people don't realize what those two and, and others, um, people whose names we don't know that have played a big role as well, how they've made this possible, that, that Columbus might even be considered as a hub city, that Columbus may be hosting this basketball tournament, may be hosting fans at, the Mir- at Mirfield, may be a hub city in NHL playoffs. It, it's in large part due to the precautions that were taken early on uh, by the the leaders and the the um, the political figures in this state, a hundred percent. And and I'm I'm one of those people that uh, I have tried to watch um, every press conference that Mike Dewine and and Amy Acton and and uh, Houston have had um, to get the information from the horse's mouth, as they say. Um, yep. And and you know it has it has struck me multiple times. Uh, I I think back to one of their first talks and. Dr. Amy Acton said, if we do this right, you're all going to think back and say, what was all the fuss about? Yes. Uh, why did you do this? Um, right. they, they told us that from the very beginning. Um, and, you know, people know my affinity for um, relying on data and using information and, and, and really counting on that. Um, Governor DeWine has stated time and time again that that is one of the major tenants um, of his governorship, along with sharing as much information as possible, which he has on his on the site um, with the data that they update daily. Um, and I think that, of course, the series of events that have occurred have caused a lot of people pain, financial pain, health totally. pain. Um, there is hurting. But I think that um, this city, this state, isn't as healthy as, as humans <laughs> if we didn't have the leadership that we had. And I think that, again, I'm not discounting um, what this has done to so many, um, but I think that if we're able to step back and look at the bigger picture 
and say, look at, look at some of the horror stories we had to watch coming out of a state like New York or, or even Texas right now. And yeah. leadership isn't fun. Leadership isn't glorious. Leadership is doing the right things, um, not necessarily the easy things. And I think that um, we had that in this state and people don't always agree with what was done, but I think a lot of people are alive and healthy because of the leadership that we have been fortunate enough to have in this, in this crisis. Yeah. And I think we'll, I think we'll look back on that and recognize that maybe more than some of us do today. Mm -hmm. For sure. That's my hope anyways. Um, a topic from earlier in the week, changing gears now. Um, we caught up with John Tortorello. We stayed in touch with, with Torts, is which is what we do during the layoff. He's not wanted to comment during the pandemic break, the pause, if you will. He just, I mean, he's, he's John Tortorella. <laughs> he, gets, he gets these ideas sometimes, Allison, you know this. Um, but one thing he did wish to, I think, confront, because he knows it's going to be a topic, is his stance on the national anthem. Mm -hmm. And it, it, there's so much to this as there often are with John Tortorella moments. He told ESPN's um, Linda Cohn four years ago during the uh, World Cup that any player who sits during the national anthem will spend the rest of the day, rest of the game sitting in that same spot. In other words, he's going to bench a player if they sit for the national anthem. Now, a couple of things to clarify. Um, that was a international event, and so you're representing Team USA by your presence at that tournament. I, Torch didn't want to get too far into it, but I do think that had a little something to do with his feelings about that, mm -hmm. right or wrong. I think, mm -hmm. that, I think that helped paint his opinion of, of that situation. The other thing that should be noted is uh, we talk now about people kneeling for the, the anthem. When that World Cup went off, that was at a time when Colin Kaepernick, quarterback of the 49ers, um, was sitting. He had not yet had the meeting with former NFL player Nate Boyer, uh, also a Green Beret, who uh, totally supported Colin, Colin Kaepernick, still does, but asked him to start kneeling right. out of respect for the flag rather than sitting. So kneeling is what many soldiers do to the flag. Boyer thought that would be a much more effective way. Um, to stand out from the crowd without being completely disrespectful. That was right. his stance. And so from then on, uh, Kaepernick began to kneel. Anyways, so that, that's why I'm, I'm getting, I'm belaboring the point here, but that's why Tortorella said, if you sit there during the anthem, you're going to sit there all game because that's what was being done at the time. That's what people were up in arms about. It was, it was Kaepernick sitting. Anyway, speaking to Tortorella earlier this week, um, he has, he has moved a bit on this through, quote, listening and watching. He, he has not changed his view on this in terms of how he sees the anthem or how he plans uh, to be during the anthem. He is going to have his hand on his chest. Allison, he's going to say the prayer to himself that he always says about his son, about the people currently fighting. He views that flag and that anthem as representative of the men who fight men and women who fight and have died for this country. That's how mm -hmm. he sees it. Mm -hmm. He has grown, I guess you would say he has learned, he has watched that others 
see their response during the national anthem differently. When they look at that flag and they hear that anthem, they don't see it the same way he does. And he has come to accept that. Not that he would do it, but he accepts that other people see it differently than he does and certainly have the right to. Um, so let me pause there and get your thoughts on, I kept thinking of Johnny Cash and the man comes around, but it's always, it's always, um, I don't know. It's more impressive when an older person who tends to be set in their ways, pauses a bit, listens, learns, reconsiders, and, and says, this is where I'm at now. And I wonder what your thoughts are on that. Yeah. I mean, I think, I think it is definitely notable um, that he, and, and again, he didn't have to say anything and oftentimes he doesn't. <laughs> um, right. It is notable that he would speak up and, and take this stance. Um, I've been listening quite a bit because uh, even these comments have still not been enough for some people um, because of how they viewed uh, some of the things that John Tortorella has said and done. And, and I think it's important to hear that. Um, there was some feedback that um, it, John Tortorella made the comment to you that, you know, he would hope that a player would come to him first um, and that the team could talk about it as a group. Um, it's easy for me to interpret that in line with how he has led this team as a unit and to be all there for each other. Um, some have perceived those comments to imply seeking permission, uh, which they don't care for. So I'm hearing that. Um, and I have to recognize I'm applying a little bit of my assumption because he didn't say <laughs> one way or the other. Um, but I think that for him to come out and at least say he's listening, um, this is what I've been asking of people during this time is to listen and, and try and understand. And for John Tortorella to set the model for that, I think is, is very important. Um, and it's important for, you know, I, I think too, you know, it's funny always to me when the anthem plays, cause you look at that bench and it's Swedes, it's Finns, it's Canadians. It's, you know, um, so, so I think that uh, for him to at least start to open up and change his thinking a little bit um, and hear um, other perspectives is, is, is an important step for him for sure. Yeah. And I, I also take note of this, too, that some of the people who um, are most offended and most upset by Colin Kaepernick or whoever kneeling during the anthem may be the same people that scream stars during right. the middle of the anthem when that word comes up, if you're a Dallas Stars fan, right? right. right. Or scream red when if right. your team wears red and the colors are mentioned. Like, you know, where is the line? I, I think everyone has a right to their line. Right. I think it, like you said, it's notable. I, I don't know if we should hold anyone up as a saint for moving on something like this, but you know, it, it's, um, I think it's of note when a, when a person who's perceived as being the most ardent uh, supporter of one type of feeling moves and says, yeah, this, that's for me. That's mine. Right. I don't expect that to be everybody's. Right. Um, and, and to your point about him saying, I would hope a player would come to me. Um, perhaps that needs more explanation from John Tortorella. Right. I didn't take it. And I spoke directly to him. I didn't take it as him saying, 
that player would need to get permission from me. Protests do not require permission. That's almost right. the very definition of them. Right. I took it to mean if this player on our team has an issue, uh, let's talk about it. Let's see where he's coming from. And there would be no surprises. So right. there's not an, an individual act within a team setting. Whether that's right or wrong, I think that's how he views it. I didn't get the sense that it was a, a seeking permission. Right. Um, you know, I, no. I do. I get perturbed at people who say that you know a protest should be out of the way where no one can see it or hear it. And you go, well, then what's the point? That's what right. a protest is for people to see it and and to be confronted with it, even if uncomfortably. Right. Um, and so, yeah. So it's an interesting story. It's on the it's on the site. Uh, you've probably seen it by now if you're listening to this, um, but it's, it's worth the read. And I think it just, it shows us, uh, and I think we know this, I think Blue Jackets fans have come to know this too, that there's a lot of more nuance and there's a lot more gray area and a lot more gray matter with John Tortorella than many are led to believe. I do, this is a thinking man. Yeah. Um, yeah. This is an opinionated, opinionated person, but this is a thinking person who is not so rigid and not a tyrant he's a he's a pretty fascinating dude and he's he's watching and learning and listening and and trying to be better just like I think we all are yeah and that you know and that's I like I said I also took um his comments about a player coming to him as you did but I think you know again I think the biggest lessons here I think you're spot on in saying this isn't about holding up John Tortorella as this great model of <laughs> that. That's not what this, this is about. Um, but I think what's really important is starting this conversation. Maybe there are follow-up questions to be had. Maybe there's learning and how we can always all communicate better for sure. Um, and, you know, having that discussion through follow-up conversations and clarifying questions. But again, I think that at, at its core to, to serve as an example. And I said this when all the, the players were putting out statements and things like that to serve as an example, to say, I'm going to check my ego a little bit and listen and pay attention. Yeah. That's what protest. That's what protest is about. It's saying, can you please pay attention to this? No one's paying attention right. to this. And I think to set an example to do that is, is the biggest part of all of this. And it feels like people are starting to pay attention. Yeah. Hopefully. Yeah. Yeah. I think, I think people are starting to and trying to, which is, it's gotta be the first step. Yep. Anything else, Allison, anything else we need to get to? (laughs) I think that is it. Okay. Well, we will uh, talk to you all on Tuesday. Thanks for listening and keep checking the site. We'll continue to have blue jackets coverage as this uh, cranks back into action. So thanks for listening. We'll talk to you soon. As you've probably heard by now, we've teamed up with BetMGM this season. We'll be using BetMGM lines to make all of our picks, and we'll have special offers for our listeners each week. If you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC, and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic, plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager with BetMGM. Here's how it works. Download the BetMGM app and sign up using bonus code THEATHLETIC. Make your first deposit of at least $10. Place your first bet on any game and claim your voucher for a one-year subscription to The Athletic. 
See BetMGM.com for terms. U.S. promotional offers not available in D.C., Mississippi, New York, Nevada, Ontario, or Puerto Rico. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Available in the U.S. Call 877-8-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY 467-369 in New York. Call 1-800-NEXT-STEP in Arizona. 1-800-327-5050 in Massachusetts. 1-800-BETS-OFF in Iowa. 1-800-270-7117 for confidential help in Michigan. 1-800-981-0023 in Puerto Rico. First bet offer for new customers only in partnership with Kansas Crossing Casino and Hotel. Don't forget, if you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager.